Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to our study of Romans chapter 8, I just pray that you'd continue to open up our hearts and minds to your word and your truth. I pray, Lord, that we would rest in your truth, that we'd trust it and we'd live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8 as we continue our study there this morning. And if you recall... As we started verse 31, we started studying five questions that Paul posed his readers from the Church of Rome. And I want to go through the four questions that we've already studied as we approach question number five this morning. John Stott in his commentary said... These questions are unanswerable. And his point there is is that there's nothing that could overcome God's love and command of our lives. And so if you look at verse 1, he poses this question. If God is for us, who can be against us? In verse 32, he said, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's question two. Question three, which is found in verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Question number four can be found in verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And as we approach our last question of this series in Romans 8, I would like to point out that the questions were in response to probably one of the most familiar verses found in all of the Bible. In Romans 8, 28, definitely one of the most familiar verses for believers, where Paul said, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And as I have made the habit of doing in my past sermons, I would also like to point out in verse 28 that he says all things. It's just not good things. It's all things. It's both the good and the bad. God uses all things to work together for good to those who love God. And I think this is an important point to emphasize as we approach question number five. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones said of the fifth question that we are climbing a grand staircase and the fifth question is the top step. So join me in looking at verse 35 of Romans 8 as we look at the fifth question that Paul poses, in which he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I think that this is a very appropriate question for us as we live in the environment in which we find ourselves today. We are facing an increasingly hostile environment as Christians. You see it worldwide. And in fact, we have seen it migrate to our own nation. Used to, we would look across the globe and we would observe countries that would persecute believers. And we would make the statement, well, I'm glad that we can worship freely here in America. But we have seen over the last couple of years that governments and society are quite comfortable in persecuting local congregations and churches. And you see it to the more extreme when you go to our northern neighbor in Canada. As the open persecution of pastors and churches is reaching an extremity. So it's very important for us to look at this question and ask ourselves, who shall separate us from the love of Christ as we live in an environment of persecution, trials, and tribulation? And let me first say that I think that we need to remember the words of Christ, which are found in John chapter 15. Turn with me, if you will, to the 15th chapter of John as we look at the words of Christ, starting in verse 18. Christ said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. 
But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. The more willing you are to stand in the public square and pronounce your belief in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, be prepared to suffer persecution. That's the environment that we find ourselves in. And in fact, I will go on to say that if you aren't suffering in some form or fashion for your beliefs, you're probably not taking too firm of a stand in society of what you believe as a Christian. And this has been going on not just recently, but for quite some time. As you take a stand in your personal life, you will face persecution. It happened early on for me as a teenage believer. I remember when I was in high school, I went to church camp. And I had a great time at church camp. And I thought that I would come back and tell all of my co-workers about my belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was working at the grocery store at that particular point in time when I was in high school. And I was telling one of my friends about my belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he looked at me and he said, Monty, everybody is sick of hearing you talk about Jesus. And I thought, well, this is the first that I've heard of it. But it didn't stop there. Anytime that I have pronounced my faith among other people, I have typically found some type of blowback. I remember when I went to Baylor. And I just thought Baylor was just going to be like one big church camp. It was just going to be wonderful, spiritual nirvana. And I had a roommate that did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not have a vehicle. And I became his mode of transportation. And he jumped into my truck one day as I was willing to take him to run an errand. I put in the popular Christian artist into my cassette player at the time. And he screamed out an expletive and told me to turn that Christian music off. Praise God, two years later, he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But my point is, the more that you take a stand among your friends, among your family, among your co-workers, it is quite natural for us to suffer persecution. That doesn't mean that we stop. That doesn't mean that we're quiet in the public arena. And in fact, I think one of the church's largest problems today is that the church has gotten too quiet in pronouncing their beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're silent when we need to be bold. 
If the church is to be salt in light, we have to pronounce and proclaim the light to which we're supposed to represent, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should expect that we're going to suffer persecution. And in fact, that persecution becomes so widespread that Christ tells us in Matthew 10 that our families will turn against us for our beliefs. Our families will turn against us. We're not protected from any group. So trials and tribulations are normal. So as we're reminded here in John and also in Matthew 10 that the world would hate us, it's helpful as we look at Romans 8 and we see where God tells us through the writings of Paul that God uses all things together for good. He uses all things. Now, a lot of times when we read Scripture, we look at it at a topical level, and we don't really step back and we don't think about who's writing it and what experience that person has had as they pen the words in which they've written. But I want to do that here this morning because as we sit there and as we think about the fact that God uses all things and as we see where Paul poses the question, who shall separate us from the love of God? Let's think about Paul and what Paul has experienced. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, as we read what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth about a personal experience that he was going through. And in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, he wrote, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. To that, Paul replied, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A lot of people think that thorn in the flesh was a physical element. But when you look at the original language, I firmly believe that the thorn in the flesh was a person. It was a person that was a thorn in the flesh of Paul. The other thing that I would like to point out is, as we read the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, is that this was the letter that he wrote prior to Romans. Now think about that. 
Right before he wrote the letter to the Romans, he wrote about the thorn in the flesh. Right before he wrote the letter to the Romans, he then would write in 2 Corinthians 12 in verse 9, which we just read, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, as he wrote in Romans 8... Afterwards, it puts special meaning to those words when he said, all things work together for good. Because this is Paul's personal experience that he's writing about in 2 Corinthians 12. He has suffered, and in fact, right before 2 Corinthians 12 in chapter 11, verse 23, as he suffered his credibility being questioned. In verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, he said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in coldness and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. We're not talking about someone who wrote Romans as a theory. He was living it before he wrote it. He was living it. So it has special meaning when Paul asked, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? See the word peril? It wasn't peril from a theoretical or philosophical sense. He lived the peril. He lived it. Therefore, he had the credibility to ask the question, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? But not only did he live the persecution, but he understood what the persecution was for. He understood why he was given the thorn in the flesh, which is why he quoted in Romans 8 verse 36, he quoted Psalm 44, which says, For your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Let's think about that just for a moment. He said, for God's sake, why do we suffer trials, tribulations? Why are we at peril? Why do we find ourselves in pestilence? Not for our punishment, but for the sake and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that. 
For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as a sheep for the slaughter. My friends, we have been redeemed and saved for one purpose, and that one purpose is, is for the glory of God. And He uses trials and tribulations. And as we go through those trials and tribulations, we may question and ask ourselves, I feel like I am all alone, but we need to remind ourselves that we will not be separated from the love of Christ no matter what. No matter what trial, no matter what tribulation that we find ourselves in, we will not find ourselves separated from the love of Jesus Christ. He loves us. He's redeemed us. And I think it's very important as we think about suffering that we remind ourselves and prepare ourselves that a sign of the end of times is an increase in the suffering of the Lord's people. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, starting in the third verse. The disciples approach Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives and they ask him this question in verse 3. He said, tell us, when will we see these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Look at verse 4 as Jesus answers them. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deliver many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And then look at what he tells the disciples about what will happen to the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Let me ask you a question regarding the environment that Jesus describes here in Matthew 24. Are we living in a world that's growing more cold? Absolutely. Are we living in a world where lawlessness is abounding? Absolutely. Are we living in a world where Christians are facing hatred? You see it on a regular basis. Are we living in a world where people are quote unquote offended? All the time. We should not find ourselves in a quandary or question our beliefs when we find ourselves suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
it is not only part of Christianity, but it will increase. And the other thing that I thought, and I want to close with this thought, when you look at Romans 8, 35, and when Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I think as we see the love of God is inseparable, we can see it most poignantly in how God treats those who actually face physical martyrdom. And we get a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 6. Turn with me, if you will, to the sixth chapter of Revelation as we look at verse 9 in the opening of the fifth seal. And it reads, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who will be killed as they were was completed. My friends, you and I may find ourselves suffering. We may find ourselves persecuted at work or persecuted in our neighborhood or persecuted among our own family for our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. We shouldn't find that unusual. But as I read the words that John wrote in Revelation chapter 6, the one thing that I'm most comforted is, is even to the extremity of martyrdom, God has put those martyrs in a special place. They're under the altar, giving them a white robe, waiting for that day in which he will execute absolute justice and make all things right. So as we read Romans 8.35 in the question that Paul posed, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Christ loves us. He keeps us. He is our shepherd. He provides for us. He holds everything up by the power of his hand. He is the living Lord and we can rest in the love that the Lord Jesus has for us. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you so much that we have a love that cannot be rocked or questioned or changed. Your word tells us that you love us with an everlasting love. And I pray, Lord, that we'd rest in that. I pray, Lord, that regardless of the times or situation or environment that we find ourselves in, that we would always recognize that you love us with an everlasting love and you care for us and you are in control and all things work together as we have been redeemed to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.